Thank you, Father, for this day. Pray that you open our hearts and our minds to hear your word and that you, Father, would just do a wonderful thing here. We ask these things in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. It's nice to have a baby dedication. It kind of shows that uh, there's a new start. Uh, uh, And as we're celebrating here today, uh, Resurrection Sunday, uh, some people call it Easter. I I have a tendency to stay away from that terminology. But uh, it's a day specifically that shows that Christ uh, rose from the dead. That's what we as Christians celebrate. That's what we're excited about because it demonstrates uh, a power, a force that is at work in this universe that is better than the death and the corruption that's around us. It's a time for spring. It's a time to, to, to show what we would call an awakening. After a time of Jesus, we know the story, He was crucified. Three days later, He rises from the dead. And we see that there's something starting to move, something starting to work in this world. And, and we as Christians need to hold on to that, hang on to that, and be excited about that. We've been watching as we've been going through the whole book of Luke. Every Sunday we go through a few verses. And uh, as we're going through Luke, we said one of the themes was Luke, of Luke was of that of an awakening. And I, I, I see, if you would, where it's kind of parallel to the, the book of Genesis. book of Genesis starts out, you know, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And the world was formless and void. And then it says that the Spirit of the Lord hovered over the surfaces of the water. And you get this picture, this illustration, that the world is a a dark, cold place. And God in His creativity comes in and He starts to do a work. He starts creation. He starts putting the world together. And it's something exciting happening to something that's dead and stale. And we said the book of Luke is almost the same thing because we watched where God had the nation of Israel And the nation of Israel was cold, dead, and stale. We saw a priest, this guy Zechariah, standing in the temple. You think of that illustration. Here's a guy who shouldn't be shocked to see God, so you'd think. He's standing there in the temple, an angel shows up. You'd think that would be a common day occurrence. You'd think that a priest wouldn't be shocked when he sees an angel. But as Zechariah is there, this guy is flabbergasted when he sees an angel and he's and then the angel comes up and he says god's going to start to fulfill his promises and zachariah doesn't believe it he goes oh yeah right sure the angel says because of your lack of faith you're going to be mute until this child is to be born through your wife elizabeth who's going to bear forth john now to me that's a startling picture of the world formless and void israel formless and void, devoid of the Spirit of God, doesn't know what God's about. And what happens through the book of Luke is that there's an awakening. There's something happening. Jesus is coming on the scene. The long-awaited promise. And we see, as we celebrate today, this celebration of joy that something can move past our biggest fear, death. Something can conquer what we would deem there's no way out of it. And God wants to do a wonderful work. And He's starting. He's creating. And as He's coming back onto the scene, the Spirit of God hovering over. We've seen other things where it actually hits the church as well. There's times when the church had to be woken up from its slumber. There's a thing that's called the Great Awakening in the history of America anyway. And 
And it goes before the Revolutionary War. Ben Franklin and some of those guys, you know, they would listen to some of these speakers that would come through. And uh, they were touched by some of these guys that were speaking about revival. And unfortunately, the, the nation, when it started with Jamestown and wherever else up there, and some of these Puritan-type places, religion came into the country, and it started to get stale and cold. Nobody wanted to go to church. Nothing seemed to be happening. And then these, these speakers would come in, and they'd start speaking. God started to do a wonderful work in the country, and, and wonderful things started to change, and the nation was getting saved. It was an awakening. It was the great awakening. And sometimes that's what the Lord does in our life. He comes into something cold and stale and He snaps it. He quickens it, is the King James. He quickens in you and I the spirit that brings forth life. And, and we need to see as we celebrate Resurrection Day that Jesus, as He faced death, was in the tomb, stale, dead, room temperature. He's brought back to life. And it's a miracle for us that we hold on to. It's something that we understand and we celebrate. And we say, Lord, that's the power. That's the thing that, that you're able to do. And Jesus, when he's coming onto the scene through the Gospel of Luke, you're seeing him do the same thing. It's startling what he does. It's shocking because the world is lying in death, blind to the things that God has for it. When God wants to do a mighty work of something right around you and I, now, I want to read a few verses from Luke, and we're just going to catch this one story, but I don't know, I, I find it rather comical, because if you're with us, it's not comical, but it, it's, no, it's not coincidence, it's, it's the Lord sometimes. We just started picking Luke, and we go through the, you know, one book at a time and go through it. You know, and sometimes you say as you're doing that, you go, well, this is the chapter we're stuck with. It's not really going to speak to the Lord, you know, to the congregation. you just got to teach the chapter. We faithfully plow away, plow away every Sunday at Calvary Chapel. But, you know, it's amazing how the Lord puts the right verses at the right time at the right place. And I sometimes I look at this and I just get a little grin on my face. And I go, Lord, that's awesome how you work. And if you were with us last week, we were talking about Palm Sunday. And there was a beautiful passage in, in Luke chapter 7 that fit perfectly about Jesus being rejected. And then we come into the next passage that would be up to the plate would be uh, Luke chapter 7, verse 11. And what's the story about? Resurrection. And I go, wow, God, you really put this together. So we'll cover a few verses, and we're still going through Luke, and it works in perfect. But if you would, in Luke chapter 7, verse 11, he says you pick up the text. It says, now it happened the day after that he went into a city called Nain. And many of his disciples went with him. And a large crowd. So Jesus has his entourage, his 12 faithful plus a whole bunch more. They're following Jesus. They're realizing something is different about him. And when he came near the gate of the city, behold, a dead man was being carried out. The only son of his mother and she was a widow so that puts this poor lady in a lot of distress you can understand she doesn't have a husband you can understand here she is, she's only got one son and now the son is dead and you're seeing the funeral procession they're carrying the body out everybody's weeping and crying and you can see that she's in despair she's hurting 
And so a large crowd from the city was with her. So Jesus and his entourage come in, and now there's another second crowd, and people are all around watching this whole scene. But as Jesus walks up, it says, verse 13, when the Lord saw her, and I like this part, he had compassion on her. And he said to her, do not weep. Then he came and he touched the open coffin. And those who carried him stood still. Something was happening. And he said, young man, I say to you, arise. So he who was dead sat up and he began to speak. Nice recovery. And he presented him to his mother and says, Mom, here's your son back to you. And you could just see her crying, weeping, the joy that was there. And then notice, if you would, it says, Then fear came upon them all. Now, that's not the type of fear like to be afraid of them, but a fear of shock and awe. They are saying, wow, something's going on here. Wow, they're being awakened. They're, they're waking up from their slumber and they're saying, what we thought, this guy was dead. It's over with. We know when dead is dead, you can't come back. Jesus comes in and says, I want to stretch your mind, stretch your imagination, increase your faith to be able to say, God can. Wonderful things are happening. And these people are going, wow. And, and, and what's happening is there's a, a whole world of the Spirit that's around Jesus. You ever notice that when you're sleeping? There's a whole world around you. You just don't know what's there. You're in your own little world. And when you wake up, if you would, you snap back into the world that's there. And what Jesus is really saying, He says, the kingdom of heaven, there's this power of the Holy Spirit is all around you, but you don't get it. And in a sense, at this point, when they see the miracle, there's this sense of, Wow! There's something going on here. Wow, something different is happening. This guy was dead. Now he's back. And it says they're not afraid. They're not like, oh, go away, Jesus. But there's that intensity where they have a, a, a sense of respect. And it says, and they glorified God. They weren't afraid of God. They wanted more of God. And they were given glory to say, wow, Jesus is awesome. And they say, a great prophet has risen up amongst us and and God has visited His people. He came down and He touched the world. And I like that. He touched the the coffin. It was the touch of God that awakes us. Right? Someone wants to wake you up, you you, you shake them. And sometimes that's what you need. God can come down and to shake us a little bit, to wake us up from our sleep and our slumber. And and here you're seeing a couple very interesting things. It's the compassion of God that moved. Jesus saw that this lady was desperate. She was in pain. It is weird. Look at it another way and think, well, gee, what if she had 12 kids and one of them died? You go, well, you know, maybe it wouldn't have been that big of a deal. And, And you can look at it and say, well, maybe she would have had a husband and she could have had some more kids. Oh, well. But you know what? For her, this was everything. And for you and I, there are times when we're desperate and it's everything to us what's going on in our life. And God wants to speak to us. And He says, I see the pain that you're in. I see that you're hurting. And I see the things that you're afraid of. And I want to touch you where you're hurting. We have to allow God to work in our lives where we're hurting. And if we allow God to come in, 
touch us, you can see that there is a, a power of God that can be unleashed. The, the thing I like about this, it was just the spoken word of God. Jesus didn't have to come up and shake the tambourine for 16 hours. He didn't have to go through this whole big, you know, prayer and fasting thing. Jesus, for God, it's just a snap. It's just a touch of his finger. And there are times in my life when I said, Lord, I need you to do a miracle. It's a really big miracle. And sometimes I have to look at that and I slap myself upside the back of the head and I go, no, it's not. Lord, for you... It's, it's just a matter of lifting your little pinky. Just move your pinky and everything would be fine. That's all it takes for you. And I think if we, if we had that perspective to see the power of God, we'd have a little bit more faith, a little bit more confidence in the Lord. We'd trust Him and we'd be a little bit more secure about life. God is wonderful. He's alive. That's why we get excited about Easter, sorry, Passover, when we can see that God can raise the dead. Here Jesus, he took on the forces of darkness. Everyone hated him. Jesus didn't do anything wrong. He fed the multitudes. He healed the sick. He was a nice guy to have around. And yet, people hated him. They, they wanted to stone him. They wanted to throw him off a cliff. They wanted to, they wanted to do whatever they could. They, find he, they drag him down the street. They beat him, whip him, string him up, and they laugh at him. And Jesus says, come on, I'll take all that on. And as he takes all that on, he says something greater is greater than hatred. There's, there's a force greater than hatred, and that's love. That's the power of God. And as you trust in the power of God, you're able to see that God is able to resurrect, not just to touch this guy. As we were in Luke, you see that, oh, that's a nice story. But I guess you could say, well, you know, who knows what he did? You know, maybe the guy was really just, you know, passed out, and now he came back. You know, it's one thing to raise somebody else from the dead because we really can't tell. But Jesus, what we celebrate the Passover for, what we celebrate the resurrection of Christ is, is that Jesus said, no, watch this, I'll do it myself. He said, go ahead, put a bullet in my head, kill me, and then three days later I'll be back. There's no trick to this. There's no, there's no, there's no fancy smoke and mirrors. You can't fake that. I'm going to be dead, dead. And at that point, it has to be the power of God that resurrects Jesus. And sometimes that's where we need to be, at a place where we can say, Lord, I need you. I need you in my life to move. And I'm trusting you to move. And so there is, in the, in the sense of this guy being healed, there's a sense of glory. And then for you and I that are Christians, we see the glory comes out when we say, wow, you're able to heal, you're able to touch, you're able to do such wonderful things. And I personally am amazed at how many people can be blind to the power of God moving right in their midst. You know, the, the, the resurrection of Jesus seems to be one of these, you know, debated issues. And people want to say, well, I don't know if he ever rose. I don't think it's all that big of a thing. And it bothers me because it almost begs the question we have something to prove. And, and so many people feel they have to prove something by digging up a, 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 an old a, a piece of you know, parchment. Somebody has to find some piece of evidence or some clue to prove something on whether Jesus rose from the dead. And to me, it's as obvious as the nose on your face that God is doing still today a wonderful work. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And God has demonstrated, if we would look past ourselves to realize that there's wonderful things happening 
And like I said, I'd like to just go through the congregation and point out different people, but I'm not going to embarrass people. But there are huge testimonies of miracles in our church where people have been on their deathbed, where people have been sick, where people have been touched, where people have been delivered from foul and perverse sexuality, where people have been delivered from alcohol. And you can see where people's lives were at the brink of despair and ruin, and God came in and touched them. And to me, it demonstrates the power of God. I like this verse. This this verse is kind of a weird verse. We've heard it a lot, and it usually goes in a different context than the way it's written. But listen to this verse. It's in Corinthians. It says, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? We've all heard this, right? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor nor them homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. We all like to quote that that verse, don't we? And, And we have, when we hear that verse, it sounds like, look, we understand the truth. And we don't want them filthy, slimy sinners. That's why we hate them queers. We hate them. God says they're not going to heaven with us. Now, you read that verse and you go, well, you know, that's what it says, you know, you gotta, you know. But you've got to read the next line. And you've got to understand what Paul is saying. And it changes the whole attitude. And he says, and such were some of you. He says, but you were washed. You were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. What Paul is saying in that verse is he says, Hey, 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 look at you. Look at the congregation here. There's a lot of people here that used to be foul and and sinners and, and wicked. Every single one of us that's a believer can identify and says, I was lost. I destroyed my life. And what Paul is saying, he says, you don't hate those people. No, 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 no. This verse is begging us to show compassion towards these people because we should look at this group of homosexuals and sodomites and blah, 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 blah and say, you know what? That's where I came from. And if it's where I came from, then certainly I could understand this brother and his sin. And I need, to, I need to love this brother out of this problem. And we better understand that, that, that the proof is, is that there are so many people that have come out of such depravity. And as we look and say, hey, look, did you realize Johnny over here was on the verge of death? Do you realize this was going on over here? I mean, you know, bump a few shoulders around here, shake a few hands, have a cup of coffee with somebody and say, hey, what's your testimony? If you just ask that, the... You, know, you might get a, catch a few visitors here. They're saying, I don't have a testimony. I'm not saved. And meet some of the people in the body. And you will find a long list of powerful testimonies of people says, I was ready to flush my life down the drain. I was in steeped in sin. And God touched me. I was shocked. I had a, a couple that was in counseling. And, and they're telling me, I, I said, well, tell me what your story is. And they sat down and, and they went through this whole thing. I go, boy, these guys have been in church. I never even knew how they were just ready to lose everything. They're in witchcraft and and demonic things. And then Jesus comes into their life and changes them. And I go, these people are sitting in my church and I don't even know their whole story. My own church. Shame on me, Pastor. 
And, 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 and I go, if, if you see how God has changed so many people, it shows to you the demonstration of the power of the resurrection to touch people's lives. You don't have that question. You're not debating that anymore if God's really alive. I've got another friend, you know, and he was the classic hypocrite. He was teaching a Bible study and, and practicing some very vile sexual things. But one day he woke up. He came to a place of confession and repentance in his life. He fell down and he says to his wife, he says, wife, you've got to forgive me. And to his shock and his amazement, the family accepted him. He went on to teach a Bible study again, but this time with such zeal and such sincerity and such honesty. Now, it's, to me, it's amazing. As you see this guy's story, his testimony, and you talk to him, you can't help but feel the presence of the Lord working in his life. Now, to me, you look at that whole situation, and it almost seems like such a moronic question to go up to him and says, well, how do you know God's real? He's like, dude, you know what God's done to me? It's not a question of whether or not Jesus rose from the dead. Of course he rose from the dead. He's worked in me. Jesus is alive and well and strong today. And yet so many people, they have these doubts, their fears. They're living in darkness. They're asleep. And there's a whole world of spirituality all around us. And most of us are asleep. And the miracle is, is Jesus wants to come into your life. He wants to touch you. Set you free from your bondage of your sin. And I like that verse. It says that we were washed in Jesus. And that's what Jesus does to us. He washes us. You think of the illustration of a dirty plate. You wash, the, you do the dishes, you wash the dishes. You got a, a, a plate sitting there. It's got its foul, dirty, yesterday's dinner stuck to it. And you got to sit down there and you wash that plate. Now, I don't know. There's different ways to wash things. If you're, you're stuck and you're stumbling on a, a stain, there's some stains come out with certain things and other stains come out with other things, you know. There's times that you have to clean something and you can, you know, you get a greasy stain, you can put soap on it and it won't touch it. You can use some gasoline or you can use some other, you know, chemicals that will cut grease. And, and then you can go up and there's other times that you have to wash something with soap and water. There's, there's different uh, emulsifiers, there's different things and different soaps that work on different substances, you know. You see that OxyClean? And that OxyClean, it, it shows you all the grape juice, all this, and all the fruit juice come up and stains the carpet. And the guy goes, use OxyClean, and it takes out the stains. And you're right, OxyClean does a wonderful job if you spill a glass of wine. But if you want to try to wash your greasy hands with it, it does nothing. <laughs> and, and, and you go, I know, I bought a whole bucket of it once. <laughs> but you go, there's certain things that it works good on. Well, for you and I, there's, there's a stain in our life. And what happens is that God said there's going to be one chemical that's going to clean that stain in your life. And, 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 and for us, the stain of sin can only be washed away in the blood of Jesus. So many people, they go, you know what, I feel terrible, I feel miserable, I, I, I feel dirty. And they try and clean up their life. Well, I'm going to quit smoking, I'm going to quit drinking, I'm going to do the right thing. And they're scrubbing and scrubbing and scrubbing as hard as they can to get the stains out of their life. But the truth is, is you're never going to get that clean out, that stain out, unless you use the right agent, and that agent is going to be the blood of Jesus. That's the way God set it up, is that the blood cleanses us and washes us. 
I don't know how many of you guys were here. We had a, a great, uh, a Good Friday service. We had a seder. It was uh, had a couple of the Jewish women in church set it all up, and and it was just what the Jews do on their Passover. It's what Jesus did, and the Passover was instituted by Moses when by by God to Moses <clears throat> when he was bringing the people and delivering them out of Egypt in bondage. And, and God says, you need to take this meal, eat this meal. You need to sit there dressed in readiness, eat these bitter herbs to remember your bitter past. You need to sit down there and have unleavened bread and get the sin out of your life. And, and you watch as they were supposed to perform a sacrifice and cook a little goat there and eat this with bitter herbs and do it in haste. And what was supposed to happen is that you would take the blood out of that basin and then you would put that blood over your doorpost. And God said, as he's trying to speak to Pharaoh to let his people go, maybe you saw this last night on TV, and, and you go, here he is, God's trying to get the people out of Pharaoh's heart and his heart, and then God says, I'm going to do a great miracle. I'm going to kill the firstborn of everyone who wants to be disobedient to me, i.e. the Egyptians, and I'm going to prove to you it's not some fluke as hail or frogs or something that might be weird. I'm going to do a big miracle. And so the death angel is going to come and kill the firstborn of every household. Unless you have the blood on the doorpost. And then if the blood was on the doorpost, the death angel, as he'd come and knock on your door, he would pass over your house and let your firstborn live because you were obedient, because you were washed in the blood. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin, Leviticus 17.11 says. And that... Uh, Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin as well. We need blood to cleanse our sins. And as we stand filthy and dirty before the Lord, we see that God wants to cleanse us and, and wash us of our sin. And not only does He take you as a dirty plate, but He says that we were washed, and then He turns around and He says, but you were also sanctified. To be sanctified means that you're set apart. It has the idea that you take the plate and not say it's a piece of common ware, but you would take it and put it up on a shelf and say, this plate is special. He says, you're sanctified. You're special. You're up on the wall. You're something to be treated as a trophy, if you would. You're not like all the rest of the common ware. You're not the average Tupperware plate. This is something that's a humdinger of a plate. And God looks at you and I and He says, you're sanctified. He looks at you and says, I washed you. I've cleansed you. And I've put you up on the shelf if you're washed in the blood of Jesus. And I like this. The next word's even better. It says that we were justified. To be justified is a simple word to understand its meaning. They taught us up in Bible school. It just has the same definition as to say, it's just as if I didn't sin. Justified, it almost sounds the same. Just as if I didn't sin, justified. It almost got the same sound there to it. And you go, God looks at me when I'm washed and clean. And he says, it's almost like it never happened. It's all washed away, Dave. You are shining up on the shelf, clean and and beautiful and lovely. God wants to wash you, to sanctify you, and to justify you. And I like this. It's even more important that when you come to Christ, you confess Him as Lord. When you acknowledge Him, you are washed in that blood. You are sanctified and justified all at the same time. Notice those words are in the past tense. He sees you as justified. And you go, well, Lord, I'm still messing up my life. 
What do you mean it's not as... Well, He sees us as pure and holy and righteous. He loves us. He's touched us. He's healed us. And God wants to do that work in you. And it's just a matter of being able to understand that we have to wake up. We have to realize that there's so many things going on in our life that we're empty to and that we need so much more. Scripture gives us a very simple outline for a plan of salvation. All you have to understand is that in Romans 3.23, it says very clearly that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So, every one of us has got the stain. You've been born down the line from Adam. You inherited your sin nature. You continue to sin. And we're born into a wretched world. We're all polluted. We all got splattered by the same sin bomb and it's stuck all over us. And we've got we to gotta wash this garbage off of us and we need the blood of Jesus to cleanse us from it. But every single one of us is contaminated. There's nobody that can wash the stain away without the blood of Jesus. There's nobody that can say, I didn't have the stain in me from the beginning. No, it says, he says that, that uh, 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 all things, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Next verse would be Romans 6.23. It's a very simple verse that says, For the wages of sin is death. You want to keep that pollution on you? Be unwashed and unregenerative. You're going to die in your sins. Death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. It's like you've got to wake up. And God wants to wake you up so that you can start to be alive and not be sleeping through life. Jesus says, in John 3, 3, Jesus answered and said to him, He said, Most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So we as Christians, we use this term being born again. Jesus tells us to be born again. And we're using that to say, it's like you start to wake up, you're coming out of your slumber, and you're putting away the old things, and you're starting to have a new life in Christ. You can have that concept to say, Lord, I want to start all over again, a whole new life. Let me have one more try at it, Lord, but let me do this again. And you have to be born again. He says, most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And just as we said in John fourteen six, Jesus said to him, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That's as plain as you can get. Jesus is telling you, it's me. I'm the way, I'm the truth, and I'm the life. There's no other way to get the stain out of you. There's no other way to deal with the issues. You have to go through Jesus. And, and he's saying, he says, I'm the way, the truth. No one comes to the Father. If we want to see God, we have to have Jesus as our cleaning agent. And finally, well, it says in Romans 10, 9 through 13, he says that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, and believe that God has raised Him from the dead. So notice, if you would, you have to confess with your mouth. You've got to speak the certain words. But it's not just saying the right seance. It's not just having the magic code to get into the kingdom of heaven. It's a matter of your heart. You have to be able to say, Lord, I need You. I need to be cleansed by You. And the Bible makes it very, very simple. If you say it, you believe it, you're going to be saved. 
He says that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe with your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. So you can be saved. For the Scripture says, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon Him. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. See how the Bible is spelling it out as simple as it possibly can? So if we want to be washed, we want to be cleansed, we want to be sanctified, we want to be put up on the shelf and not remain in our filth, it's as simple as calling on the name of the Lord, saying, Dear Lord Jesus, cleanse me. I need the blood of Christ to wash the sin away from me. And the promise of Scripture is that your life can be changed. And this room is full of peoples whose life already has been changed. The power of God can start to be unleashed. The power of God that raised Jesus from the dead. And things can start to happen where you wake up and you start to see the world around you and you have a whole new life. You're born again. You're delivered. You're not in your position of death. says, and he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves. So we're no longer just to say, thank you, Jesus, for getting in there. But we're to turn around and to say, not only do I thank you, but I want to live for you. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. Therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know Him thus no longer. Saying He walked with us as a human, but now He's resurrected. And then it says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, He's a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. God wants to promise us a new life. He wants to start us with a new change. He wants to deliver us from the bondage of sin and death that's around us. His promise to you is everlasting life. You can live for forever in the kingdom of God and you can have peace for your soul. Interestingly, this week, uh, Dave, our drummer, gave me a call and uh, he said... uh, he said, my cousin just uh, keeled over with a heart attack. He's in the Mount Carmel East over here. He's on life support. Doesn't look good. Dave said, you know, the guy's not walking with the Lord. Doesn't know too much about any of this stuff. Is pretty clueless on certain things. And uh, Dave and I go over to the hospital. We sit there and I give it my good college try. (laughs) We want to be faithful. We want to lay hands on this guy, John. And uh, I I, I really felt pretty strong like the Lord wants to raise him up. And uh, I was fasting for, you know, the season, the the Easter season anyway, Passover. Seemed like it was such a great time for something like this to happen since it's the day Jesus rose up. Why not get this guy up out of his comatose state here you know so Dave and I sit there and we're praying and 
we go to town for a while and nothing happens. And it kind of hurt, you know, in a certain sense. And I don't want to give up on the, the matter. I'm not sure what the status of the guy is right now at this moment. But uh, it makes you cry because this guy was close to the kingdom of God in one sense. He, he drank himself to death. What is he, 40, 46 or something years of age? He's already keeling over with a heart attack, dying. And the story goes on how much he can drink and how much drugs he can do. And, and yet there was times that uh, David witnessed to him. There's times he had picked up a Bible, but he just never really wanted to finish that decision. And Dave and I, you have this feeling that says, you know what, Lord, just, just have this guy wake up for just five minutes. And let me preach to him so that we know that he can go to his grave in assurance. Just, just, just give me one more chance to witness to this guy. That's all we want. Lord, please, just open his eyes. Let, let us see a sign. Just move your pinky just a little, Lord. And it seems so utterly frustrating to realize that there's a guy out there that gaffed off God for a long time. And I'm not sure, maybe sometime in this night he accepted the Lord. And, but it don't look good. And what kills you is that we go through all this work to have a prayer meeting, to have everything come together. You can be praying and fasting to give this guy a second chance. And the question that begs you is to say, hey, 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 how about, what does it take for you to understand that there's a second chance in front of you? Does it take? Most people to have a cardiac arrest be in critical care in order for them to be resurrected from the dead and then they would turn around and say, wow, I think I need Jesus. And I mean, it almost plays with your mind where you think, well, gee, if if this guy could just listen, I'm sure he'd accept Jesus because you're thinking, right? Hey, this guy can turn around and, uh, uh, you know, he's on death's door. He doesn't have an excuse. So we're going to tell him about Jesus and he's going to say, yes, Jesus, you'd think that's what would happen we'd hope that's what would happen that's what we beg for and and i i'm sitting in a room full of people and i can only scream out to the housetops and say please don't let that happen to you that you have to be at death's door before you squeak out a confession in order for you to be saved don't miss that opportunity and it's sad when you see it right in front of you we were talking about the uh Great Awakening, Reformation in America before the uh, Revolutionary War. And we said that the country really had gone stale. And a couple guys, Edwards and Whitfield, really shook the country and preached as circuit preachers. And, and there was a great awakening. The country started to get saved all over again. One of the things, though, that really threw this guy, George Whitfield, over the edge is he turned around and he was going in to minister to somebody on their deathbed. And so he, faithful like Pastor Dave, he goes in there, sees somebody that's ready to go over to be dead on death's door. He goes over and lays hands on this gal. This lady sits up in bed. And you know what the first thing out of her mouth was? It was... Is Spades Trump? The only thing she's worried about is a card game. And she's going, is Spades Trump? And George Whitfield blew a gasket. 
He's like, lady, you're dying. You're on the edge of, you know, eternity. Can't you see? And you are consumed with, you know, your card game. Get over it. Get past it. Let's think about the eternity. And the truth of the matter is, is that so many people just don't care. They're living in a a vacuum, a void, a blindness, a, a stupor where they're sitting there in a world and they're asleep. And Jesus is trying to touch you to wake you up so that you could have life. And he's trying to stimulate you. And Whitfield went on with such a passion because he realized the blindness of people. He was the one that went into the black community and started preaching as a white guy to the black people and says, every soul needs to be saved. Anybody, listen to the gospel. And I think if we understood how many people were asleep, we would, be, we would be out there preaching and evangelizing and stirring the world and saying, come on, God, God can move. God will move. God is willing. God wants to touch you. And you have to be able to say, Lord, I'm willing. I'm going to raise my hand and say, Lord, take me as I am. Wash me in my sins. Cleanse me so that I can be sanctified. Lord, I need to be justified And God wants to bring you to that place. That's what we celebrate. Passover, the Passover lamb being sacrificed, Jesus Christ dying on the cross, and that we have assurance to know that he rose from the dead because his power is still here today, just as it was then. God wants to do miracles. And whether or not one guy gets up out of the grave, I can still show you a hundred other people whose life has been in despair and been resurrected by the power of Jesus. Please, I beg of you to tune your hearts to the Lord. Ask Christ to come into your heart. Start fresh and new and say, Lord, from this day forward, I want to serve you and to love you. Amen? Amen. Let's uh, stand and close in prayer. Father, I just want to thank You and praise You for Your wonderful resurrection power. Father, I pray that I would be able to wake up a little bit. All of us, Father, can slumber. All of us can be caught doing less than what we should. Father, I pray that we would be not preoccupied with this world, but we would see today that You are resurrected, that You are alive and strong, and that we would celebrate new life, and that You, Father, would continue to touch people's lives here today. I pray, Father, that people would make a decision today to take their lives and to say a simple prayer of, Father, come into my life. Jesus, I confess You as my Lord. I pray, Father, for Your Spirit to wash me, to have me to be born again and to be sanctified. I pray, Father, for us as Christians that are, are, are touched by You already, that we would be stronger and invigorated, that we would seek Your face, Father, at all costs, and that we would be excited, Father, because there's new life. We don't have to be stuck in the stains of life. We can be set free. Father, I thank You for Your Word. I thank You for Your promises. I pray, Father, for wonderful things to continue through this church. Father, we thank You. We praise You. We give You all the glory, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.